When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A spirited draw for Manchester United at Liverpool. Lacking quality, for sure, but a draw. We feared the worst, and so we'll take that and quickly move on. Thank you very much, and sorry to Virgil van Dijk. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Woody Podcast with me, Harry Robertson and Jack Tate with me as always. Thank you for joining us. Over the next 45-odd minutes, we'll be reviewing Sunday's 0-0 at Anfield. We'll review last Sunday's feeble Champions League exit. We'll preview the FA Youth Cup, which starts at Old Trafford on Tuesday night for United's under-18s. We'll consider United women's first half of the season and plenty more. So let's begin. Jack, Old Trafford, I, I don't know if it's ever felt flatter than it did at the end of Wednesday night's game after all the fights that we offered across Europe, scoring three times at the Allianz, the Parkin, the Ali Samiyen, and then all we could muster as we neared uh, a feeble exit was, was well, absolutely nothing really. And so we came to Anfield expecting the very worst and it was, it was okay, wasn't it? A bit of fight, there was still some stupidity. It felt to me a little like a more defensive version of the home win over Chelsea, where there was spirit and fight, but lacking some quality and control, but this time against better opposition and it finished nil-nil. Is, is that wrong? Do you agree with that? What did, what did you make of the game? Apart from a, a huge sense of relief. Yeah, definitely be- better than I and I think most of us were expecting going in. I think the performance was, it was decent. You know, there, were, there were parts of it that I think you can take quite a lot away from. And, and part of that is because we've set the bar so low throughout this yeah. season. You know, I don't think this is a performance we're going to look back on in two or three years and be sort of, oh, remember that performance at Anfield in 2023? You know, it wasn't anything like that. But I do think there was a lot to take from it in terms of, like you said, the fight and the spirit we showed. I think it also shows at the same time still how far off we are from going toe-to-toe with a good team. You know, and Liverpool aren't playing at what we think they're capable of anyway at this point. And yet, you know, you could see in the second half, especially there were moments where we did go for it a little bit more and we're living on such a knife edge because to get anything going in attack, we're having to commit so many bodies forward because we're not very good at going forward at the moment. And the second that breaks down, there's so much space left behind. So look, I think given the circumstances, it was about all you could ask for. You know, we could have nicked the game on, an, on another day. We also probably could have lost two or three nil on another day. And so I think you take the nil nil, you take the positives that come from it and you move on happy that we've sort of got a little bit of that Anfield hoodoo off our backs. Yeah, a bit of the Anfield hoodoo off and it takes the pressure off. And <laughs> it's, uh, I think you're right, standards have dropped. And I think it says a lot that kind of this season has kind of been defined by taking pressure off. Anything good is is good only because it relieves the pressure. There's not been any really 
brilliant displays that have lasted 90 minutes. I think we complained a bit last season that United's good spells came in 45, 30, 60 minutes rather than full 90s. And that's what we want to see happen in the second season. And it obviously absolutely hasn't happened. But yeah, pressure relieved. And that's a very good thing. And you're right, we could have won it. We had some really good chances. Highland should have scored, Ganacho should have scored, or at least both of them should have worked the keeper to a much greater extent. There was that late one there as United was surging forward in white. I think it was the 91st or 92nd minute. And me and my brother were watching at home and said, who's going to be the John O'Shea? Um, and I, in, in that moment, I did think, we've had a good defensive performance here. United are playing in white whenever, you know, not whenever, we did lose 7-0 in white last year, but often our, our famous Anfield moments come when we're wearing white, Cole, O'Shea, uh, Mata, Rooney. Uh, but it wasn't to be, but there was a, another good chance at the end. So lots of positives to take. I think Liverpool were really poor and we benefited from that, but ultimately you play the opposition as they turn up on the day. And I, I, let's start with a, a real big positive in Kobe Mainu. Uh one of our patrons Matt Peck says how fucking good is Mainu? serious serious talent and as uh, Nathan Thomas who came on this podcast recently for the Chelsea game put into our group chat during the game or after the game Mainu passed the Sir Alex test of can can this kid do it at Anfield can he play under the pressure of being at Liverpool and admittedly it was quite a flat Anfield atmosphere it sounded like but still it's, it takes some some serious bottle to do that and yeah, Cobby was fantastic again, wasn't he? 100%. I mean, he was the only player in that team that looked capable when the ball broke down and it was a little bit scrappy and a little bit unstructured as the, as we were in these sort of transitional moments. He was the only player in a white shirt that looked capable of actually getting his foot on the ball, getting his head up and picking a pass. And, you know, the, the move that ended up coming for the Garnacho chance... I mean, at first it was a brilliant ball actually by McTominay into Minu, but that ball went then into Garnacho, a brilliant spot, perfect weight on the pass to get him in behind Alexander-Arnold. You know, he, he I, I was a bit worried going into the game, not about him on the ball at all, but I was a bit worried that he might get bypassed a little bit. I think the one, and this isn't really a criticism, it's just a reflection of the fact that he's, he's bloody 18. In, in a couple of the performances he's had so far, the game at times looked a little bit too quick in, especially in transition, he looked to get bypassed a little bit and I was slightly concerned that might happen at Anfield, but it didn't at all. He was more than up up for the fight. He didn't get sort of out-muscled physically too often. And yeah, he was the only player able to actually kind of slow things down for us and, and get us moving forward with a little bit of respite. I thought we really came into it in the second half, especially. And also did it It's that control well. of tempo, isn't it? That yeah, yeah. We spoke about in... Uh, which game was it when he played really well at Everton. Old Trafford? Oh, from... Well, it was Everton, his great performance, but Old Trafford, is that, I don't know when he's played. Yeah, maybe Trafford. it was Everton. Anyway, it's that control of tempo, which we don't, I think we were saying, maybe it was after the Everton game, we were saying Ericsson has that quality, but a lot of it's too slow. Fernandes has that quality, but it's all very quick. And Minu has that ability to pull the speed up and down as as he so chooses, which is really yeah. valuable. I think it's kind of... And, and Amrabat is another one. It's all, it's all yeah. very quick. So having my Mainu next to him helped yeah, that a lot. Yeah, and look, there were some real big issues. If United had gone into that game in good form and put in that performance, you would we would be picking out lots of real weaknesses to the team. Some of the, the, the manner in which we lost possession was often literally passing it out to no one. I think I counted at least four or five times as that happened. 
there were some kind of familiar culprits. Anthony and Dallo were quite kind of similar in that I was pleased to see the fight they put in and the spirit, but their decision making is is often baffling. And we've got quite a lot of players like that. Uh, we were talking Amrabat and Fernandes there, those kind of high tempo, high speed players, but often at the expense of kind of efficiency and actual quality. And that was kind of, that was a bit of United overall yesterday, wasn't it? And this was, this was a relief, but, and, and there were good elements to it, but ultimately this met our standard of trying. It, it didn't meet the standard of how this United team should be playing. That being said, a huge number of injuries and suspensions. And so it's a good result. A draw on field is, is certainly a good result. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's, I think the, the fact that we've come out of this game feeling somewhat happy is partially a reflection of how badly we've played at Anfield in recent years. I would have snapped your hand off for a nil-nil before the game. And also a reflection of two, the injuries that we've had and three, the fact that we have set the standards low this year. And I don't think that means that as a fan base, we're now happy to go and do this. But I think you know, you've got to have some sort of realistic perspective. We were never going to go to Anfield and play them off the park, despite what you know we might have hoped and dreamed. And so I think in the circumstances... You know, we, I think we could have kept the ball better, 100%. That was the biggest disappointment for me. You know, this is a Liverpool team that have shown in recent weeks that they can be got at. You know, the likes of Crystal Palace, Sheffield United have really, really troubled Liverpool on the counter-attack. I would have liked to have seen us do that more, and we did in the second half. But again, it, it came at the cost of really allowing Liverpool a lot more space whenever our attacks broke down. We definitely could have done better in that regard. But overall... It was definitely a step in the right direction. And I've got to say, I've got to give credit. You mentioned there, Harry, about how many times we gave the ball away when we were sort of building up from goal kicks and things like that. I've actually got to give some credit to whether it was the players or Ten Hag that decided to make this shift. I was very angry after the Newcastle game. For, you know, We just kept trying to play these short goal kicks every single time, but we didn't have any structure around it. And all it would end up doing was make us lose the ball inside our own half every single time. And we started out doing that again against Liverpool. The first 10 or 15 minutes, you know, we couldn't get out of our own half. And even though Liverpool weren't creating any chances necessarily, it felt like the inevitable was coming. And actually, we did make the shift this time. Often it was to the centre-back taking the goal kick, playing that little two-yard pass to Onana. But then Onana was going long most of the time. Whether it was out to the full-backs or straight up to McTominay and Hoyland, there was a stat in the Athletic. This was the highest percentage of long passes he's had in any game this season. You know, it, it wasn't perfect by any means. We still lost the ball too much, but we did kind of make that adjustment and didn't fall into the same trap that we did against Newcastle. And there was there was one moment of real quality that kind of occurred in the way that you just described there where the centre-back took it and then Anana played the ball long and uh, it was brought down and then played forward and it ended with the, the big Hoyland chance that he should have scored. Yeah, exactly. That takes us nicely on to discussing Rasmus Hoyland. Do I know what you wanted to talk about? Because it's been, I, I was saying, I was talking to a, a, a non-United fan, a Fulham fan, as it goes, the other day, and he was saying, oh, oh, what do you think of Hoyland? Because he hadn't watched all the United's games. So I'm saying it's really good. And he was saying, but he hasn't scored a Premier League goal. And it's absolutely true. But I think it's, it's the fact he hasn't scored a Premier League goal and there's kind of so little noise around that. Imagine if other 70 million strikers had done that. Kind of shows how well the rest of his game is being received by United and non-United football fans alike, I think. It, it is obviously a concern. The five Champions League goals make things a bit better. But the service he's getting is is very minimal. I think 
two years down the line, Hoyland would score that chance that he had at Anfield and maybe win United a game and seal his status as a, a, a United icon forevermore. I hope that is the case. But while that little bit was off, his all-round game is good. What, what have you been seeing or, or thinking in recent weeks watching him? Because his lack of goals means we haven't spoken about him that much beyond to say, oh, he's working really hard and he's very useful and he's better than anti-martial, but that's not a, that's not saying a great deal. <laughs> Yeah, that's a huge compliment you just paid him. There. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think I think for <laughs> I think for me, I, look, I think Hoyland's introduction has still been massively positive. He does show a lot of good things and sort of hallmarks of understanding how to play as a striker. Yeah, I think what I've noticed in Hoyland the last probably three to four weeks, I think his general play has dropped off a little bit. I don't think he's as involved as he has been. I think when he first came into the team, it was such a breath of fresh air to actually have a striker who would offer us that great sort of focal point in attack. He would often come short, receive the ball either on the half turn and get driving or linking up with the midfield, playing it out to the wingers. I mean, the wingers can receive the ball moving forward rather than doing it with their back to goal when they're receiving it from a full back or from midfield. I think that has slightly come out of Hoyland's game. And I, th- I think part of that isn't necessarily just his fault. I think it's also... Because our midfield has moved more towards this composition of having sort of Amrabat, McTominay, Bruno Fernandes in there, there isn't really anyone to provide him. Yeah. I'm not even talking about goal mouth service at this point. It's, there isn't really anyone able to play that ball into him through midfield anyway. You know, that that isn't really the game of those behind us. It's not all his fault, but I do think his general play has dropped off a little bit over the last few but years. Even, even from like a basic perspective as a watching games at Old Trafford or way, I've often been getting McTominay and Hoyland mixed up because they look reasonably similar from a, a, the distance, for example, that you might be standing at yeah. Galatasaray Stadium or, or somewhere like that. They look fairly similar builds and, and hair. But I think that demonstrates how similar McTominay's position has been to the one that Hoyland was playing in before McTominay re-entered the side. Yeah, 100%. And, and even though I think that's probably helped us carve out a few more goals, it, it's crowded out Hoyland's space. And Hoyland's movement is... Still very, very good. To me, that is the, the the number one thing that I look for in a young striker is, do they understand how to create Yeah, it's got to be natural, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And that that's, it, I, I always remember going back to when Rashford and Martial were first coming into the United team. It was the one thing I always said about the two of them. Rashford's had excellent, excellent movement, but didn't quite have the finishing. And Martial was sort of the opposite. Hoyland so far, we haven't really seen enough seems like he's a decent finisher, but his movement is absolutely there. And to me, that is the most important thing. So if you get into those positions, teammates will be able to find you. You will create chances for yourselves. To me, the big red flag is if you just don't... I think that there's a there's sort of a, a nouse that you have to have to be able to play as a striker at the top level because you're playing in a very, very condensed part of the yeah. pitch. Unless you're sort of streaking away in behind, anyone can do that. But when you're talking about creating opportunities for yourself in the box, let's say from crosses or things like that, you're working in a very, very condensed part of the pitch where there is almost no space. There's a ton of bodies there. And I don't think that many players have that sort of understanding of how to create space for themselves. And Hoyland does. He obviously needs to get on the same wavelength as teammates so they can find his runs when he's making them. But to me, that is still the biggest positive that's coming out of his role in the team. I'm not concerned, but I do think his general play has dropped off a little bit over the last few weeks. I I hope it will come back because it was a massive, massive boost to us to have that kind of focal point so we can play the ball forward and then get the team moving as he's sort of that focal point that we can play around. Yeah, the difficulty is that United's wingers aren't particularly well suited to setting 
Holland up. We had yeah. this problem with Ronaldo uh, for different reasons, but one similar one was that our wingers aren't naturally suited to kind of playing with a target man. Rashford is a winger who cuts inside to score himself. Garnacho is the same, but can probably do a bit more of the crossing, the whole crossing thing. Anthony can cross, but only after he's cut back onto his left, by which time he's probably lost the ball already. It's it's difficult. And the stats show that Holland is getting the, basically the worst service of any striker in the Premier League. <laughs> it's, it's a little surprise then that he hasn't scored. That being said, he should have scored a couple. I think the positive to take out of this beyond just that I think he's a good player is you might say this kind of demonstrates why United needed to sign a more experienced striker for that amount of money and Hoyland should have been kind of learning from from beneath him but ultimately the best way you learn as a footballer is by playing games at the top level and so while it would be very nice to have Harry Kane and I'm I'm not saying that I'm glad we didn't sign him I would have loved to have signed him and it would have been great forgetting the financials but hopefully a couple of years down the line we see this Hoyland season as the equivalent to the ones that players like Rudy and Ronaldo had in kind of 2004, 2005, 2006 where they were really learning and holding their game and then suddenly burst and, and became the world's best and, and led United to European glory. That would be a very nice uh, vision for the future, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, not half one. I, I mean, it just, it speaks to the problems really. I can't believe there. I'm talking about, talking about winning European trophies after <laughs> the, uh, the half We're celebrating a nil-nil. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Van Dijk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, th- I mean, it just really goes to prove the issue that we've had in sort of maintaining this this squad. You know, Martial should have left the club years ago and he's still here. And the fact that he's still here means Hoyland is having to play 90 minutes twice a week at this point, every single week. And you know, that might have something to do with why he's sort of had this drop off. You know, Rashford being injured a little bit and then ill and being out of, out of favour also isn't helping because he hasn't really come in and he maybe in another season could have played some minutes up front. That hasn't happened. So it, it's it's been tough on Holland. I'm not sounding any alarm bells by any means. I think, like like you mentioned, the reaction, I think, speaks volumes. You look at the the sort of, the coverage of, say, Darwin Nunez, where there's still so many doubts about his ability to be Liverpool's striker. And I'm not saying that there's no doubts yeah. about Hoyland. Clearly there are. It's not good to have gone how many games he played now probably 13 or 12 games without a goal. It's not good. But I think you're seeing enough from him to say, okay, look, the goals will come. And also he's playing in a team that's playing so bad. I don't think you can really blame him for that too much. I think he's had a little bit of bad luck in the Premier League too. There were some games, think back, especially to Sheffield United, there were a couple of times. Brighton, that, he should have scored on his debut, but the goal was, in yeah. my opinion, wrongly ruled out. Yeah, good point. <laughs> like he could have started with a goal after what? I think that was about... 29, 30 minutes in. Yeah, something it, like that. it could all be very different. And, and then we saw the goal at uh, the Newcastle goal against Arsenal, which was, I think, correctly stood. Was it? Yeah, it did stand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correctly stood because they couldn't completely determine whether the ball had gone out or not. And looking at that one that Rashford, I think it's Rashford crosses for Hoyland, that one probably should have stood as well. So it could all be very different. Um, we should move on to our, our next section where we'll talk about Bayern and the Liverpool game kind of in conjunction. Okay, going to our, our next section. My my concern from, I mean, there's plenty of concerns to have at United right now, but while I'm relieved with the nil-nil, and satisfied with it and I'm pleased that Ten Hag went with the tactics he did. I'm impressed with the performances of Varane and Evans. 
Um, we haven't even spoken about Dallas red card, but there's no point. It was so ridiculous that I uh, shouldn't even discuss it. It'll just get me annoyed. But my concern is this. We've seen games where these players have put in this fight before, a la Chelsea, and then we welcome Bournemouth to Old Trafford. And while I'm not saying that lack of effort was the reason we lost against Bournemouth, th- there is this kind of trend of, uh, do you remember the, the Fulham game where the, the banner was there that said, was it play like you mean it? Yeah. And after the game, the players were kind of, I mean, all giving it large, like using the term and being like, we like saying we played like we meant it and all of that. And it was like, it's a bit premature. That's like you've won a game at, at Fulham. And there's this sense with this squad that it's kind of like, right, we've, we've, we've shown you now and they've shown us at Anfield, like, oh, we've put in the effort, we've got ourselves a draw. And I fear when I'll go to West Ham and get beaten in another really meek performance. And it kind of, like Bayern Munich was just the most f- feeble way to go out of a Champions League game, a, a Champions League group stage. So I can see there was just absolutely, like that final 20 minutes, it was like we weren't, we weren't bothered. And I don't think that comes from lack of care. I think it's a, a lack of belief and confidence, but it, it manifests itself in, in the same way effectively. And this is my worry with this team is like, all right, I'm pleased you, you didn't humiliate yourselves at Anfield, but that really is like scraping the barrel. So uh, do, do you think that's unfair or do you think it's fair? No, I think it's fair. I, I think this team does have a habit of following up very good performances with pretty average ones at best. You know, we saw it kind of after the Chelsea game too, getting a lot of plaudits there for a performance that was yeah. good, not great. It really just showed a lot of basic you know, like you said, a lot of fight and spirit, really in good attitude to, towards the game. But, you know, it that firstly comes off, off the back of the Newcastle game and it's sort of like, oh, shit, everyone's everyone's getting on our backs now. I'd better, you know, turn around and, and actually... Yeah, this is what I mean. It's all it's always... They can only do it when it's a yeah. response. Well, and, and I think that's why we've had so many it, games... There's no kind of level of consistency. Like you mentioned earlier, I think that's why we've had so many games that have felt like a sort of pressure valve being released because we're not good enough to keep that pressure yeah. off entirely but when it gets on enough it's almost it's almost like a kid when you're you're sort of getting told off by your parents and then at so, at a certain point you're like oh I don't want to disappoint them anymore I'm going to be on my best behavior for like for like two days but then you still fall back into your old habits because you're a kid that that's what this team feels like sometimes so like you get right up to the precipice yeah. and then they're like oh I better buck up my ideas and actually figure this out you put in one one better performance and then you sort of think great you know we're the best team in the world again we're just going to waltz in here and and beat everyone. I mean, the Bayern game, like, I thought the first half was okay. You, you sort of kept yourself in the, in the yeah, game. Yeah, it's like we've often said for games, that was a decent foundation if you're then going to kick on in the second half and start to throw the kitchen sink at it. But yeah. with the lineup and with the way we played, it was exactly, it was everything I didn't want United to do. All we had to do there yeah, was 100%. win the game. And if we lost 3-0 while doing it, fine. I understand there will be a lot of pressure if you lose by like a decent margin to Bayern Munich. But ultimately, the reason you're at United is to have the kind of belief in your own abilities to take risks. And I was listening to Roy Keane on Stick to Football the other day and it, was, it wasn't about this at all, but it's just come to mind now that he said, I mean, and Keane doesn't often praise Sir Alex, he said the reason Sir Alex was so good was because he was a gambler. He knew he, he was happy to take risks. And... Yeah, it's I, I'm a fan of Ten Hag's pragmatism in many ways, but when you're ultimately left with the task of winning one game 
and all you have to do is win that one game and if you lose you get nothing then you really need to put some fucking effort in to win it otherwise it's, it's all pointless why did we like bust the gut to finish fourth last season if we're going to exit in fourth place in the Champions League for I think only the second time in our history yeah no I, I totally agree it, look the first half was I, I, we, we had said in the week, weekend before we want us to go out and sort of go hell for leather just go all out to beat Bayern yeah I understood why we maybe didn't do that from the first minute because you you know yeah. you do that and you end up going 2-0 down on the counter attack inside 20 minutes the game's pretty much over fine so we got to half time at 0-0 I thought the performance was okay it's not like Bayern were, were dominating us really. They had a couple of good spells. We had a couple of good spells without ever really threatening that much. But you get to half time at nil-nil, especially when the Galatasaray-Copenhagen game was still on a knife edge. Then you just think, why not go for yeah. it? Like you said, I don't, it's not, it's not as if we've cared about conceding goals in the Champions League this season anyway. Who cares if we concede three more as we're going for it? I'd rather us actually give it a proper go and give us yeah, a if chance of making it. If through. we lose 3-2 or 4-3 again, great. I've seen a really good game of football. Yeah. I'd rather that. And, and as it happened as well, with uh, the, yeah. obviously it wouldn't have mattered for our own qualification through to knockout phases, but if you're able to get in, stay in the game and either get a win or a draw out of it, at least you get yourself in, into the Europa League. At this point, we're out of Europe completely. United only have one chance at silverware now this year in the FA Cup. You know, it's yeah. it's a big, big deal to go yeah. out of the group stage. To go out of the group group stage at all is a big, big deal, but especially to do it in such a meek fashion, it felt do, uh, it was just toothless and spineless. With one win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was really I it was I was really disappointed. And and not even at the it, I was less disappointed at the fact we weren't in Europe anymore because the, the silver lining is me, my brother and my mates have all saved about 300, 400 quid each. So that's a, that's a bonus as we were trying to reflect in the pub on, on the positives. But I was just really disappointed with with the effort and how flat it was. And people can say, oh, the atmosphere at Old Trafford was flat. And yeah, because no one believed that the players were actually going to do it because they weren't well, showing it wasn't at the start any of the desire. Game. No, it wasn't. It was all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah we've got a, a question. two-way street. It doesn't just Absolutely, come from the yeah. fans, it comes from the players too. Yeah, we've got a question about Europe in the Patreon Q&A, which is a very busy one, so we're going to have to move on. There is, we'll answer one of our Patreon questions because this relates to kind of the Bayern game and the Liverpool game. But Tomane was captain against Liverpool. He played against Bayern. I wasn't a fan of the, the lineup against Bayern. And, and Matt Peck says, how worried are you guys that Ten Hag is married to the idea of McTominay in midfield every game? Without Bruno, McTominay played further forward and it was even less effective, but at least the two holders had shape for us. I fear that it goes back to a single pivot next week and we have the same issues again. Genuinely think Ten Hag's United career rests on his midfield structure going forward. Yeah, and he, he goes on to say McTominay now appears undroppable. It's baffling to see him play week in, week out due to the lack of control he gives us. And... Yeah, I think that match is basically with with my opinion that I think Tanag is 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 dropping the ball a bit here in terms of being wedded to the idea of of, of McTominay because he he tries and occasionally comes up with a goal. It's difficult. United have injuries. Ericsson is back in training now. That will give United another option. But the the preference for McTominay over Mainu in a couple of games recently, given the really strong performances of Mainu when he started and when he's come off the bench, and as we've seen at Anfield. Is doesn't sit well with me, given I think as the old adage goes, if you're good enough, you're old enough, and Copy Minor is good enough. Yeah, I think look, I think Ten Hag is I mean, quite obviously he's chasing goals. We don't have goals in the squad. He knows that we aren't scoring enough. And I think as we've discussed in previous episodes, I think he is just trying to put as many goal scorers as he can on the pitch. And our options for that are, are very limited. But 
I think yeah, it's, but it's sacrifices. Just to put that into, into a statistic, there were 44 Premier League goals in the United team that started at Anfield between everyone and 17 of them had been scored by Scott McTominay. I think another like seven are Johnny Evans as well, if I'm if I, my memory yeah. serves me correctly. Yeah, correct. You know, it's just, and I, and I do understand why Ten Hag is chasing that, but to me, it feels, it just feels like such a, a plaster over the problem because this team doesn't lack yeah. goals because we don't have the players for it. I mean, Anthony was scoring goals at Ajax. Garnacho has shown both in the youth team and at times in the first team that he can score goals. Bruno Fernandes yeah. has been a 40 goals and assist a season player for this United team only a couple of years ago. You know, there are goals in this team if you can create the right sort of foundation. We haven't even mentioned Rashford and Hoyland in that. But sticking McTominay in there, it's sort of like, well we're playing the way we're playing. So I'm going to get someone that's just, you know, can put the ball in the net at the moment. It's sort of like the flavour of the month. But you're right that what you're sacrificing in return is huge because you've then got no control in midfield. It limits your options to actually get them all into scoring positions in the first place. It's, it's the most so, important position in the team and you, you can't have a weaker player there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll go back to the point. I understand when he plays McTominay further forward because he wants his energy and work rate and... Uh, there's a bit of off the ball intelligence I think on the ball there's there's less of it and he wants that height and that goal scorer but when he's playing him in the deeper role you do think this is you're just <laughs> you're wasting this team and the rest of the players who are being held back because McTominay just doesn't his, his attributes just don't fit that role and to be fair I think this is one criticism that you can level at Ten Hag throughout his United tenure not actually just this year is that the idea of what he's wanted to do with the midfield seems to have to be very disjointed. You know, we went from chasing Frankie de Jong all of last summer, which we were all excited about, you know, profile that we've lacked in midfield for years, then went and signed Casemiro, very, very different profile, you know, was brilliant last season, but massively changed the composition of that midfield. Meant we relying on Ericsson to be playing, you know, 40, 50 games a season, which he would have done if he hadn't got injured. You then come to this year, you've then brought Mason Mount in. Again, very, very different profile to anyone that we've been linked with in the past. It seems like you want to play a much higher midfield and leave Casemiro there. All right, injuries have obviously derailed that plan. But then you're now relying on McTominay, incredibly different profile to any of those kind of players. It it just seems to have lurched from idea to idea. And there, there just isn't that sort of coherent plan from Ten Hag, it seems like. And... You know, I, 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 we can even forget McTominay playing as much as he has this year because you could write that off if you really wanted to to injuries and needing to be pragmatic and needing to just get a few goals to release the pressure, whatever. But there's plenty more when it comes to the composition of our midfield when Ten Hag has had the ability to plan where you can you sort of look at it and it doesn't. He make doesn't sense, know what yeah. he wants. Yeah, and I, I understand the McTominay goalscorer argument, but bring him off the bench. That's fine. Maybe try and win or, the game or, first. You know what? I'd, I'd actually, I'd almost rather him just say, Hoyland, you need a rest. McTominay, you're playing at number nine. I yeah. honestly wouldn't even mind that at this point. Yeah. We better move on. Let's go into our Patreon Q&A. If you want to hear more discussions like this that we wouldn't normally have in the main episodes, but have in part this week, you can sign up to be a patron. And I've just realised, I didn't even say it at the start of the episode, the reason my sound might seem uh, a little different this week is because I'm stood in the bowels, well, underneath the Stretford end because I'm in the Old Trafford area for work. And I was going to stand or or sit 
by the Trinity statue and have a lovely vista while I was recording, but obviously it's pissing it down with rain. So I've had to come and seek shelter <laughs> beneath the Stratford Head. It's not the most glamorous of settings, but that explains the slightly different noise. I hope it's still all right. Let's dive into our Patreon q and ad break for everyone else. And we'll be back after to talk the FA Youth Cup, United Women and West Ham away. The FA Youth Cup begins on Tuesday night as Manchester United holds Derby County in the third round, a place away in the fourth round against Luton or Swindon Town uh, greets the victor. It's a really exciting competition and United are the record uh, number of times won, 11 times, Chelsea closest with nine. And of course, the famous 2022 win, the most recent where 67,000 supporters crammed inside Old Trafford for what was a really magical night at the time. Alejandro Ganacho, Kobe Mayer, Dan Gore, all in that team. Charlie McNeil as well, he's now out on loan. It's probably the world's most prestigious domestic youth football tournament. And it is really exciting for the players and the coaches I spoke to. The new lead under-18s coach, Adam Lawrence, who was promoted from the under-16s, eh? from, uh, used to work for Millwall and Charlton, joined United around the time of that 2022 Youth Cup win and has now become 18s coach. I also spoke to Travis Binion, who was the coach for that 2022 side and both are looking forward to it. Particularly Adam Lawrence will be standing on the Old Trafford touchline for the first time. I spoke to some of the players like Philly McAllister and Ethan Wheatley. You can see those interviews up on manunited.com. But the sense you get with all of the players and the coaches and everyone involved is just that for these lads, it's like a dream. And I don't think I need to explain that to you because... It would be our dream as well, getting to play at Old Trafford at the age of 16 or 17, 18 for some of them. It is a dream and particularly for this age group, most of the the, the makeup of most of these squads is Manchester, Salford born uh, with a few exceptions. And I think it means even more in those cases. The Youth Cup is, is such an exciting competition. I don't know much about Derby side. I've not seen them play recently, but home advantage will certainly help United. I speak to people at the academy and they remember times in 2022 when opponents would see United turning up in those famous suits, blazers with the eagle crest stitched into the chest and opponents would turn up and see United arriving in their suits and think, shit, have you seen these guys? They they look the part and it's it's the little things like that and United have the, the little things done very well at academy level, that much is definitely true. It's a good team with some excellent players, they got a bit of experience last year, you're probably going to have Eli Harrison starting in goal, he played in the team last year, you'll have uh, Ethan Wheatley who played the games um, last year as well, who'll be starting up front. He's a, Ethan Wheatley's kind of a, a lanky uh, forward, but his balance and agility is pretty good given his, his stature. It's uh, a little difficult to know who will start. There's a massive group at this level and I spoke to the coaches about that and they said that's why the under-18s lineup has been changing so regularly for league games um, and United went out of the UEFA Youth League with a 2-0 defeat to Bayern Munich last week. It was a really disappointing Youth League campaign and so the Youth Cup will give an opportunity for some of those players to, to prove themselves again. The Youth League was disappointing because United should have done better, not necessarily should have gone through, though very much would have liked to do so. Um, Bayern, Copenhagen and Galatasaray all have good teams and all that pose really difficult challenges for different reasons. Galatasaray because of the weather away in Istanbul. Copenhagen have a great team, Bayern have a great team. So it was a difficult group, more difficult than it was for the first team. 
but they they disappointed themselves and they weren't happy with the performance and and the performances and and giving away late goals in some of those games. So this will be a good opportunity. Last year in the Youth Cup, United had a really good performance at Crystal Palace in round three and then were pretty average at Stoke away, but were unlucky to go out with a deflected free kick. I think they have a chance of emulating 2022 this season. The quality in the squad is there, but it's about mentality. Can they deal with the pressure of playing at Old Trafford and can the other team deal with that as well? Elsewhere in Academy News, uh, I watched Jaden Camerson sign his first contract last week too. It was a lovely moment with his family and uh, key people who have helped him in this journey. The reason it was publicised by the Academy, which they don't normally publicise new contracts for 17-year-olds uh, because they don't think it's the right thing to do. And I agree, uh, but it's part of the Emerging Talent Programme, which is a something that was brought in three and a half, four years ago. And is kind of an extra way, an extra route into Academy football from... Uh, grassroots football. It's a good system and it was a good opportunity to celebrate the success of that system. And it Not only does it help United's Academy in terms of finding new players, that's not its main aim. It's a, a sub-aim. It also gives uh, education to grassroots coaches and resources to coaches and, and schools as well. So it's a really good scheme. Obviously, Scott McTominay, captain United, his first time captain United in the Premier League, which is great. There were eight academy graduates in, in United's matchday squad at Anfield. I don't think we should ever underestimate how brilliant that is. As I say, the Youth League ended with a 2-0 home defeat to Bayern Munich. The under-21s beat Newcastle 3-2 goals from James Nolan, Joe Hugo and Charles Shuratire. And the under-18s won their 10th match in a row in the under-18 Premier League at the weekend as well. Uh, away at Everton which is another great result it's been going really well in the league they've used 30 players in total in 10 games in the league because there's a big group and a lot of changes in terms of players going up to 21s or coming up from the 16s uh, that's been managed pretty well so it's been a good kind of first half of the season for the academy which will the feeling will undoubtedly be affected greatly by what happens in the youth cup at Old Trafford on Tuesday night um, but there's some some really promising signs some promising players and we got hope for Youth Cup victory because another run in the Youth Cup would be fantastic. Uh, for United women, after a 2-1 defeat at Liverpool on Sunday, United women now trailed the Women's Super League leaders Chelsea by a huge seven points, which is certainly, in my opinion, an unassailable difference. Uh, recent results have, have very much condemned Mark Skinner's side to kind of a return to the old big three. A big three closely followed by United, but United now part of a pack a chasing pack that includes Tottenham and Liverpool. Skinner said the defeat to Liverpool was down to a lack of desire. It was the fifth time this season already that United had dropped points, which in the Men's Premier League wouldn't be so ridiculous, but in the WSL, it, it's something you can do across a full season, but you can't do it many more than five times because it's so competitive and there's fewer games because there's fewer teams in the division. As a whole, the league is closer than it's ever been or at least in recent years, the depth of quality has really changed. You've got, over the last two years, Tottenham and Liverpool have improved a lot. Obviously, three or four years ago, United came in and, and started challenging as well. And that's United were kind of, United's rise was then followed by Tottenham and Liverpool and investment in uh, at Leicester City and Aston Villa as well. So there's lots of that going on. Um, and Mark Skinner, the manager, is definitely under a bit of pressure. Injuries haven't helped, but uh, Skinner has also spoken about transfers, which was interesting. He said, we have to be more aggressive in the market and we have to accept that support and help in order. And we have to have that support and help in order to be a consistent challenge. I think, I think we still have some development to go. Seems like fairly pointed remarks at the club's structure and maybe activity in the transfer market. There were some really cool signings and, and good players who have played well, like Geza Ferreira, uh, among others. But United did lose Alessio Russo and Onabatier. It 
this game wasn't great either, to be honest. United were poor. Mary Earps was poor in goal. She was reported to want to leave United in the summer for a new challenge, but stayed in the end. And you wonder how that, plus uh, the World Cup disappointment, England losing in the final to Spain, is affecting our performances. But United women certainly have a lot of work to do. They now go into a winter break. Uh, we'll be back in action uh, in 2024, hopefully, with few injuries and can get on some kind of a winning run and bring themselves back into contention um, and make up some of those points that they trail Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City by. Okay, coming out of the Youth Cup preview and United women round up. West Ham away, Jack. We said earlier in the episode it would be very kind of typical of United to put in a spirited uh, performance to get a draw at Anfield and then to embarrass yourselves at West Ham. Do you think that's going to happen? I'm going as kind of a thing with my brother and my dad before like a nice pre-Christmas away day. So I really hope not. I mean, this is actually a really important game because we, if, if we lose, they go yeah. and the team. We're slipping down. You know. Premier League's mad at the oh, moment, yeah. isn't it? Where you can, you like suddenly we were three points off City and now uh, we, we, we might be ninth by now. Eighth or ninth, I think we are. Yeah, we're seventh now, but if we lose to West Ham and Brighton also ah. win, we would go down to ninth. I mean, right. yeah, it's odd. I was, I was, I tweeted yesterday. I think you could make an argument that Aston Villa genuinely being the best team in the league this season so far. I don't think Arsenal or Liverpool have played at their best, but but yeah, anyway, that's, I that think might be true. I, I have a feeling actually that I, I think we will do okay against West Ham because I don't think they will just sit in the entire time. I think they will come on to us a little bit more, which will help. But they're not going to be like ultra, ultra aggressive. So I don't think we're going to get caught out quite as much. It's, it's Moyes. We've got to be winning. I mean, our away, our away form actually has been much better than expected yeah. this season. And so I'm I'm more confident actually than I thought I would be. Okay, brilliant. So I'm going to have a happy Christmas. Then. Uh, yeah, guaranteed. Brilliant. Thank you very much for sorting that. Uh, I think, yeah, go on. I'll be confident since I'm going to it. United to win 2-1 um, and, and things to start get back on track. I don't even believe what I'm saying. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but thank you very much for, for listening, everyone. Um, yeah, a bit of a whistle-stop tour around three of the club sides and a couple more and, and plenty of topics. If you want to support the show, you can become a patron or leave a review on whatever podcast app you use. For more from Jack throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. We will probably record after the West Ham game, squeezing it in just before Christmas. But for those of you who don't manage to catch the episode for whatever reason... Have a very, very happy and Merry Christmas. Um, I hope it's a, a lovely day and a lovely time for you and you get some nice holiday. Um, we'll be back soon. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Network.